Well, all right, here we are once again at Pastor B's kitchen table. As you know, this is the place we break it up, chop it down, and put it back together again. And at this kitchen table, we talk about everything and anything. And today, this month, I'm going to be dealing with the issue of Black family issues, things that are pertinent to our family, all families, but uniquely our family families in accordance with this Black History Month. And I'm so glad to have on the line today, to have at the table today, uh, Honorable uh, Judge Tamika Carter from the 400 District Court. And we're just so glad to have a judge with us today. Will you say hello to the Kitchen Table audience, please? Hello. Thank you all for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Amen. Judge Carter, you know, I've been dying to ask you. I know that you've been a defense attorney. You've been with the DA's office. What's been the biggest adjustment for you from going from being on that side of the bench to now sitting on the bench? So I think the biggest adjustment is the way our system set up, the way our criminal justice system is set up, all have different roles. And so as a prosecutor, mm. I am advocating for the state on behalf of victims. I'm sharing that they get justice. And on behalf of the defendant, when I was as a defense attorney, my interest is more especially you know, for my client, it is, you know, when you're a prosecutor, you want to make sure that it's fair for everyone. You want to make sure that the defendant's right not being violated, but he's not your client. When you're a defense attorney, that is your client. And your job mm -hmm. is to just protect their rights and make sure that they get, you know, the appropriate punishment for whatever they're charged with, or they're not guilty to fight their charges. And so you're really um, limited in that position. When you're a judge, you don't have an allegiance to either side. Mm. Your role as a judge is to make sure that this system is working for everyone, that you are considering public safety. So your victim is always considered, but also the defendant, the person charged with a crime, that his rights are not being violated. So as a judge, you're the referee and you don't advocate mm. for the side. You make sure that it's fair for both. And so um, as our criminal, we call it a criminal justice system because there are a lot of different players in the system. You have your police officers, detective, federal agents. That's the beginning, but you also have your district attorney's office, your defense attorneys, your judges, prison right. and probation department. So it's an entire system and we all have unique roles and we all kind of, um, but it all bring it together, makes up our criminal justice system. Wow. Thank you for that answer. That's a complete and thorough answer. So we thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But yeah, we need to know that. You know, one other thing, Judge Carter, that I've been dying to ask you is this issue. Years ago, Michelle Alexander wrote this great book uh, talking about the new Jim Crow. And one thing she highlighted in the book was, was the disparity of sentencing as it relates to Blacks and Browns in the criminal justice system. That what one race may get versus the other gets, uh, there's, there's, there's an obvious disparity. Uh, have you found that to be true? And if so, why? So I'll say that I spent my entire career in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I started out as a prosecutor and I did do defense work. And I will say from working in the system, unfortunately, you do see a disparity um, in sentencing. And I have friends who work in different counties. Um, and so a lot of it is determined on based on whose court you're in. Um, okay. They, they're, you know, different judges um, may sentence harsher than mother. I think that we are making strides toward improving that in the bigger cities where you see a lot of diversity on the bench. And so that is certainly helping. 
but that's not everywhere. And so there, there really um, is, there really is a disparity depending on where a person is charged, where they're arrested. And if you are in maybe some of the rural areas that yes. they don't have many um, minorities serving on the bench or even in the district attorney's office, you mm -hmm. will see a difference in those counties when you compare it to, let's say, a Dallas County or a Houston County. You know, even Fort Bend, we've gotten a lot better. We've certainly um, increased diversity on the bench here. Um, so I think we we're getting better. But unfortunately, there is still a disparity nationwide, um, depending on where a person lands when they are charged. And, and that's something we're working towards improving. Um, but that's only going to work if we change who's in positions. And again, it's a system. So it's not just the judge. It's not yeah. just law enforcement. It's going to be the district attorney. So we all have a role and you really need representation um, at all of these levels if you're ever going to get the change we need to see to eradicate some disparity in sentencing that you're seeing. Wow, right. So location does matter. It does. I mean, if you, there are parts, I'm not a native Texan. There are parts of Texas I've never been to and may not go to. I mean, there are just some areas yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you know, okay, if you get stopped here, you better have all your papers, have everything lined up because it's going to be a different experience. And if you get stopped in, say, Harris County, you know, and, and that's a fact. And, and, and also what's happening um, in some of these small areas, judges have been on the bench for 30 years or so. You know, they, they're being old way of thinking and so yeah. they're not really you know that we are moving towards more you know criminal justice reform and and how can we uh, address crime differently and be smarter that our only answer is not just locking someone up some of these right. judges they've been on the bench for decades yeah. and that's yeah. all they know is lock them up and so you're getting that in some of these smaller counties as well yeah. You know, Judge, one of the things that uh, pertinent to our community so many times, and I'm sure others as well, is that plea bargain deal. There's, there's such a, uh, so many people are taking pleas. Can you, can you explain to somebody's mother or father who's watching right now as to what is a plea bargain? What's the advantage and the disadvantages of a plea bargain? So a, a plea bargain, sometimes it, it gets a bad rap, but a plea bargain is not necessarily a bad thing. Most cases are resolved in a plea bargain. A plea bargain is an agreement between a person who is charged with a crime, advised by me, an agreement with the prosecution. And then the agreement is reached before trial. Um, it's something that you do in lieu of going to trial. And you um, submit it to the court and it has to be approved by the judge. And so they call a plea bargain you're essentially the DA is saying, if you don't go to the call trying your case, I'm going to offer you this deal. Usually they're saying you could get more if you go to trial. It doesn't necessarily you will get more, but the risks are greater. And so the benefit of a plea bargain, if the person believes they're guilty, if they're not guilty, they should not take a plea bargain. If someone is charged with a crime and they say, yes, I'm charged with theft, I committed this theft, and the prosecutor is offering a fair deal then you take that to get this over and done with, you know, get it out of your life. Maybe the deal they're offering would not result in a final conviction. Whereas if you go to trial, then you would have a final conviction if the jury believes you committed this offense. And so oftentimes the benefit is you may have, a, you know what your punishment is versus going to trial. You don't know what's going to happen. And you kind of agree to something 
something that, that you can stomach that will be too harmful uh, to your history in the future. In the future, I understand. I understand. Of course, if you have a limp history, it's different, but usually people are doing things because they want to try to want to know exactly what their punishment will be. And also something that they will get, um, hopefully a reducing from going to trial. And so that's what you consider when doing a plea bargain. Okay. Now, one of the questions that, that often come to my attention, and not only is it a question, but even statements, is many are being assigned court-appointed attorneys. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, but my attorney is not advocating for me. So, and so I'm being offered this plea deal without even being discussed my case and not discussed whether I am innocent or guilty, uh, witnesses, or even the option of going to court. So yeah. if, how do you respond to that judge? So one thing you have to always be your own advocate, even if you are appointed an attorney or you hire an attorney, one, you need to always be your own advocate. So you should never be afraid to ask questions. This person has been appointed or hired to represent you. So if you have questions, you should always make sure that they are answered. When plea bargain comes before me, I always ask the defendant certain questions. And one of those questions is, did you go over this with your attorney? And do you fully understand what you are agreeing hmm. to today and the result of this bargain that you're entering into? Um, if someone feels that they're being pressured into a plea, they should not plea. And when you are communicating with your attorney, you have to keep that in mind. This is your life. Like once the paperwork is signed and filed, your yeah, attorney's yeah. not with the case. You're the one that's going to be on probation or serving time or whatever the agreement is. And so very respectfully, pause. And you can tell your attorney, I'm not comfortable yet. Let me I understand everything that's happening. Now, if you feel that the attorney is pressuring you into this, again, you don't have to sign for But we have to keep in mind that Sometimes we want our lawyers to be our everything and they're not. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. their job to offer you legal advice. Um, it is their job to tell you honestly their assessment of the case based on their experience. It is not their job to sugarcoat everything. It is not their job to guarantee you certain results. Um, I think sometimes um, mm. we have defendants or individuals charged with crime and they want their lawyers to guarantee a result. And having been on that side, you, you just can't guarantee a result. They can simply review the case and give you their assessment of the evidence as it's been presented. But if you have questions, then you stop and pause and you make sure that your questions are being answered. What is the recourse for someone who feels as if their attorney is disengaged or is, is not a, an attorney that has their best interest in, in mind? Is there any recourse for that? So certainly if you pay them, you can fire them. You have a contract. Um, if you are have, you know, feel like you've paid them all their money and they're not doing anything with it, go back to your contract. There are always complaints that you can make to the bar if you fully paid someone and they're simply not working on the case. And, and you can really show that like nothing's been done. They're not meeting with you. They haven't discussed anything with you. Anything with you. Then there, you can go that route if they are not, they won't agree to refund you some of your money so you can hire someone else. Um, but if a person is appointed to represent you, you can certainly bring that up to the judge. I am always um, open, and most judges are. When it's a, a court setting, say if the attorney is missing court settings, if they've never mm. met with you, if it's been several months yeah. and they haven't discussed the facts of the case with you, when you get to court, very 
you know, you can let your attorney know, I want to speak to the judge. If the attorney doesn't walk you in, you can always let the bailiff know. I would like to address the judge. I have that I need to bring to the judge. It's always back to being our own advocate. You may have an attorney appointed to you or you've hired someone, but in the end, you, you have to remember that you, you are also the gatekeeper of your own rights and interests. And so don't be afraid to speak up. That's, that's great to know you're your own advocate. Speak up, even to know that you can have, you can request access to the judge. I'm sure that many have never heard that before. Um, and I wouldn't, don't just show up on a Tuesday and ask speak to the judge, but if it's yeah. your Sunday, if it's your, this is the day that you're supposed to be in court, the judge is yeah. already there and they're anticipating your case is on a calendar. And so right. before you sign a reset for a new date, right. I would like to address the court because I have concerns. Because sometimes the, the judge doesn't know if, you know, if you don't say it's been six months and my lawyer has not spoken to me or, or discussed the wow. offense. Yeah. How would the judge know? I mean, we have thousands of these on our docket. The judge just won't know. And so, you know, and, and, and it's my prayer that you're for a judge who will listen. And, and a lot of us around here do. For some, may, you know, get a little crabby depending on where you land. But most judges nowadays know that um, you, you need to at least listen if, they're, if that complaint is being lodged and, and then give the defense attorney the opportunity to respond. And sometimes that'll put them on notice, like, oh, I better do my job because this client will speak up and this client will, you know, complain. And so they don't want that. And so that will sometimes light a fire under your attorney. Under your attorney. You know, I heard you talking earlier about criminal justice reform. What are some initiatives that, that are starting to take place, especially here in Fort Bend County? What are some things that, that, that you may be a part of or you're certainly advocating for as it comes to criminal justice reform? So what I want, I'm in my, I've just ended my first year. And so we've been excited about that. Um, we mm -hmm. have been juggling one, our backlog through the COVID. So that's kind of stalled a few things that we hope we can open the door and do some of us new judges that were elected. Um, mm -hmm. Walking in, I did take over our drug court program and it's a mm -hmm. set up like a diversion program for individuals with substance abuse problems. Mm -hmm. uh, with the, the hope of getting them the treatment that they need and avoiding a final conviction and jail time. And so those who come through the drug court program, if they comply with all the terms and go through treatment and successfully completed, their case is ultimately dismissed with agreement with the district attorney's office. So I absolutely love the drug court program. Um, in the future, I, once we get through this backlog, I would love to come up with a similar program for young offenders. I just think that our young offenders, those males, and particularly males, but also females, but our youth are 18, 19 years old. Well, they're legally adults, and so they're in adult courts, but mentally, mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't there yet. And yeah. so we give them, you know, closer attention, we put them on probations and kind of tailor a probation to address their needs. Um, what kind of wraparound services do they need? Or they need help with housing, job training? placement, just kind of monitor them closer, like we do our individuals in the drug court program, kind of similar to that. And then hopefully we have a more successful outcome so that we don't have them back here on another case in the future. Because if you're not addressing mm -hmm. these that they have that, you know, really originally got them into the court. Yeah, yes. Back here on another case. I mean, you know, it, their issues don't just go away because you put them on probation. If they didn't have yeah. stable housing before they committed the offense, they're not going to all of a sudden get stable housing 
without some resources. They had a substance abuse problem. You don't get a treatment, a mental health problem. If you get them treatment, you're going to be right back in the same situation. So what I'm hoping we can do in the future um, is to kind of get a program for our younger offenders and see if we can get some resources to really address their needs to get them out of the system, you know, get them out. Of wow. The wow. I've, I've never heard a judge say that before. Oh. <laughs> To get them well, out of the system. You, you, you don't want them in a system. And, and right. for my older defendants, I'm in a adult course. I don't deal in juvenile. But of my right. older defendants, it's they usually have prior arrests, you know, prior convictions. And it's like if we had just gotten to them when they were either juvenile in the juvenile courts yes, or when yes. they first came a felony at 18, 19 years old, we could have gotten to them then maybe at 30 they still wouldn't be on the same path. Like, how do we get yeah. them out of the system? And ultimately, yeah. that's the goal. We, we have enough people in prison. We have enough young folks coming through our courts. And if we can just identify this, um, it's like this, this term that says, do no more harm to them. You know, they yeah. come from different circumstances. We, there are people in our criminal justice system through no fault of their own were raised in awful circumstances then how could you be surprised that they're that they're on this path when they had no resources, no support? Oh, you're surprised they're selling drugs? Well, hell, they couldn't eat, or excuse me, heck, they, yeah. they, you know, they were barely eating, you know? And so you they've been raised through this, this these uh, situations, and then they get, now they're in the criminal justice system. Well, now no yeah. one cares because they're 80, 19, 25. Well, no one cares what happened when they were eight or nine or 10 or 11. So it's just how do we capture them early? And that's what I just wish more leaders would focus on. How can we get some of these folks early and get yes. them out of the system, you know? Hey, man, that, that is awesome. That is so, so true because the old adage of lock them up and throw away the key, that's that's not the answer because if you can get to them earlier and, and deal with some it of just, the underlying yeah, issues. It froze again. Yeah, yeah. So just throw, lock them up and throw away the key is not the answer. Be able to get to some earlier uh, that can certainly be advantageous. Uh, that it's is absolutely great. not. And if you think about it, it's rare that anyone is going to prison for their, for their whole life. So you give yeah. them the, with your sentences, five-year sentences, they're coming back out. And it's coming back, back out, out to what? You know, it's like, to what? We, we don't, if to there what? was no, if there are no resources, they're coming back to, you want them to all of a sudden just live this perfect life. It's like, how? What tools did we give yeah. them to make yeah. the changes? You lock them up. That's not giving them the tools to make changes. No, no, you know, no. if something is not a app, you know, a real threat, like I get it, real danger, they're a threat. You know, those there are some people that are very dangerous that we have to lock away. But exactly. problems, mental health problems, young offenders before they get too violent, what can we do to divert them out um, of the justice system, not just lock them up? Yeah, you, you know, Judge Carter. Um, I want to ask you this, is that for the African-American family members who are viewing this right now, what would you tell the parents, the grandma, big mama, big daddy, what would you tell them about educating their children about the criminal justice system? You know, I think one thing is to tell them is that um, what my grandmother always used to say, it is a lot harder to get out of trouble than it is to get in it. So first, yeah. let's avoid it. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's let's just avoid that because it is hard to undo 
a lot of these situations our kids are getting into. And so that's why we need to, let's first see how can we keep them out of the system? Um, and, and two, if you find yourself making a mistake, let's figure out a way to address that early on so that it's not a repeat. Um, but the biggest thing is really staying out of the system, which I think too many of our leaders have failed a lot of communities because in some of our underserved communities, there is a, just a complete lack of resources. And so when you cut funding for parks and recs mm. and these kids have nothing to do when they get out of school at three o'clock or 3.30 or during summer break, and if your family can't afford to send you to a camp, and these camps are expensive, or there is not enough funding um, for family to get their kids in these camps or to transport them to the camp and they're sitting around idle time, they're going to get in trouble. And it's like, well, we need to put more resources into underserved communities to give these kids something to do. We certainly had robust parks and rec when I was growing up and I was raised in Oakland, Oakland, California. We had parks we can go to, there were games, there was swim, like we just had activities that my didn't have to pay much anything for to keep us busy because you can't have these kids throwing out there on iPads or doing nothing and yeah. expect someone to get in trouble. It's like, give these babies something to do while they're young. Um, and maybe, you know, we won't have these um, truancy issues and, and kids being arrested because um, they have too much idle time on their hands. Yeah. Wow. That, that's great. I like what you said in the beginning. It's, it's, it's harder to get out than get into it. That is so true. It is so um, easy to get these situations, but trying to yeah, undo them. Trying mm. to undo them. Yeah, yeah. Judge Carter, my, my final question for you is um, there are people who are elated to see uh, that you're sitting where you're sitting. Um, what do you say to that young man or that young woman who's watching this and they want to be a judge one day? What's the pathway? How do, how do they become a judge one day? First, let me tell you that um, you can do anything really that you set your mind to. I um, didn't come from a background of means. I was, my mother was a teen mom, raised in a single parent home. And I've always, you know, you share your story so that people understand that you can get through um, a lot of trials and tribulations. My father also went to prison. And so I always share my background with people mm. so that it could be an inspiration to someone else because I didn't do, I didn't have anything grand to happen. I simply just studied like I needed to get comfortable with reading and speaking in front of people. If you want to, you have an interest in law, um, that is a path that I took. So I wanted to be an attorney. I liked debate in school. And so in reading, writing is kind of always a part of it. It's going to be a lot of research, but it's perfectly doable. I'm not some, you know, Ivy educated uh, person. I went to school in the inner city and then I went to HBCUs, Johnson C. Smith University, and then I went to TSU for law school. And so I say, if you want this path, you first claim it, you say that this is what I'm going to do. And then you just follow those steps. And that means you do what you're supposed to do in school academically. You go to college, you pick your law school, you apply. Even if you feel like, I don't know how I can even, how am I going to get through this? You just apply and you do it. There are times that I didn't know, like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to pay for this? And I tell you, somehow Lord always made a way. My, my, my bills were paid. I was able to pass my exams. And, yeah. you know, I worked my way through school. Um, but just don't focus on 
the mountain. Don't, yeah. don't look at it and say, I can never get over that. Don't just say one foot in front of the other. My goal on the other side of that, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to keep marching forward and not let anything else distract me. And you just stay focused, claim it, and you'll get there. Amen. Amen, Judge Carter. Oh, I thank you so much, Judge Carter. You have been such a blessing to give give your time. Uh, we're gonna do something again. I just I just like what you're doing, where you're going. You know, what the vision of our church is being a place to begin again, and you're actually doing that through the criminal justice system. Thank God, bless you. May God keep you and your family. Uh, kitchen table. You heard from the judge, someone who you didn't even respect, who looks like you. And we thank God so much for what we've learned. Share this with your family, your friends, your, your relatives. Uh, God's doing a new thing, and we're glad to be a part of it. So I thank you, and I'll see you next week right here again at the kitchen table. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <music>